We ask that you would open your word to us and you would speak directly to where we're at. You know each and every one of us intimately. You know the questions that we've carried in with us. You know the things that you've already been kind of stirring up. And so now have your way with us, we pray. In your holy name, amen. So over this last month or so, we have been exploring this idea of our identity. Who are we, both as a church and as individuals? How has God uniquely formed and shaped us? How does he shape us? Um, We've looked at some of the things as a church that we are about. We've looked at our family's ministries, the fact that the kids meeting across the street, that's not childcare. Very, very far from that. And that Danielle's job is not as the children's or as the family's minister, her job is not simply to care for our kids, but to help nourish families spiritually, to help equip us as parents to be the spiritual leaders of our home. And they are doing church across the street just as surely as we are here today. Uh, we looked last week at, or two weeks ago at the preschool and the fact that it's not just a preschool. This is probably the single greatest, most impactful outreach that Lighthouse Community Church has We are connecting with families that would never probably step foot in our church and being able to pour into their families. And many of you actually have found your way into Lighthouse because of the preschool. And we're really grateful for our teachers and our staff that uh, minister to those kids and those families all throughout the week. And then last week, we looked at the fact that God never designed us to be autonomous, to go through life on our own. He He created us for community, both vertically with him as well as the horizontal relationships with one another. We've been created for community, which is why we place such a huge emphasis in our church on doing life in community with one another, uh, having monthly lunches like we're going to have today where we can connect and be in relationship, but also in our small groups that meet throughout the week. That's why we place such a huge emphasis on that and why I would continue to encourage you to get involved in a small group. This week, though, today, as we're kind of wrapping up this whole identity series that we've been on, I want to ask a question that I think pretty much everyone here at Safe to Say has asked or will ask at some point. And it is a question that every world religion wrestles with in one shape or another. And that question is, what are we here on earth for? What is our purpose? From a Christian perspective, why did God create us in the first place? What, what does he want for us? What does he want us to do? And this morning, I want to explore that question. I want to explore, I mean, because to me, one of the questions that I wrestled with when I, uh, as I've been grown is, if God's greatest desire for me is that I would come to have a relationship with him, I would come to know him through faith, then why on earth does he keep us here after we give our lives to him? Why does he keep us here in this broken world rather than zapping us into heaven? And I think that's a question that probably some other people have wrestled with as well. I simply want to ask this question, what are we here for? What is our purpose? And as Christ followers, what is he inviting us to do? If you would, let's turn to the beginning, because we're going to be all throughout Scripture, but we're going to begin at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. So get ready, because we are going to be... If you you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a seat front in front of you. Grab it, because I'd really love for you to be able to follow along here. In the very beginning, we see God, the divine artist, begin to speak creation into existence. And on the, very, on the sixth day, the last day of creation, he creates man. And I just want to read about how he created us, because this question of well, what is our purpose is going to be found in how he designed us. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. 
God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Okay, in our that you notice that plural God is triune. He is he is one God in three persons. He is a community in and of himself. And he's speaking to this Godhead. Let's make man in our image, in our likeness, so that so that they might rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. When we think of being made in God's image, probably some of us go, well, does that mean that God has two arms, two legs? You know, he probably has a big, white, bushy beard and at least two eyes as if he has a body. Right. But it doesn't necessitate that that's what it's talking about. I honestly don't know what God looks like, but I do know that scripture tells us that God is spirit. Therefore, we should worship him in spirit and in truth. So to press this, that we are made in his image means that we look exactly like God is to to misunderstand what it means to be made in his image or his likeness. Because to go back to the ancient Near East, where the, the Bible was written into a community of people that understood Near Eastern culture, when a king conquered or, or, or took ownership over a territory, he obviously couldn't be in all of those places at once. And so what he would do is he would maybe erect a statue in his image to remind the people of who the ruler was, or he would de- designate, delegate men to be his representatives. He would say, you are going to be my ambassador. You are going to be my representative in this place. You will rule in my name. What you say, it's as if I am saying that you represent me. And if somebody slights you, it's as if they have slighted me. If somebody disobeys you, it is as if they are disobeying me. That is how being made in somebody's image works. And when, he, when God says, let's create man in our image, you notice what he says the very next thing. So that they may rule over my creation. We have been, mankind was designed to be God's representatives on earth, to care for, to steward his creation, not to use it for our own good, but to take care of it. We were created in his image. But we know how the story progresses, don't we? Because Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, are visited by a serpent who begins to cast doubt as to whether God is really good or God is really for them. And when they eat of the fruit, they invite or they usher sin into this world. And that sin begins to corrupt their relationship with God, their relationship with one another, sends them into hiding. But it also begins this process where their children and their children after after continue this process of going, I am autonomous. I'm the captain of my own ship. I don't need God to tell me what to do. I got this. And we see as the story goes on, and we're not going to dive into it too much, but as the story goes on, man becomes far more corrupt, far more reliant upon his and her own initiative rather than upon God being God. And so finally, God God realizes mankind is not representing me. They don't represent my heart. They're not being the stewards that I've called them to be. They're all focused on their own gain, their own good. And so God decides, I'm going to create for myself a people who will represent me. I'm going to begin with one guy, a guy named Abram. He'll later change his name to Abraham. But he says, out of Abraham, I'm going to raise up a nation of priests that will represent me. 
So go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. God calls Abraham now to follow him and to be his representative to the rest of mankind. He says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. In other words, leave everything you know. The country you grew up in, the people that you were a part of, even your own household, where you find your greatest identity. Everything you know, leave it. Follow me. And I'm going to take you somewhere to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I'll bless you, Abraham. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those and those who curse you. I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, if you are willing to follow me, if you're willing to leave everything you know and trust me, and be my representative, that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring you into a land that will be your land. It will be your homeland. But I'm not just blessing you for your own good. I am blessing you so that you can be a conduit of blessing to the other nations. Because at the end of the day, I'm not just concerned with you. I'm concerned with all of my kids. You have been blessed in order to be a blessing. Okay? Turn to Genesis chapter 26. Because Abraham and his wife, Sarah, who are already up there in age, don't have any children. God says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. He's like, well, I don't even have any kids. And when Abraham is 100 years old, God finally brings him a son through whom the promise is going to pass. A guy, a boy named Isaac. And later on in Isaac's life, God actually meets him directly. And he covenants with Isaac the same way he had covenanted with Abraham. We see in chapter 26, verse 2, the Lord appeared to Isaac. And said, hey, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and I'll bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give them all these lands and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you the land. But you're not simply being blessed for your own good. You have been blessed in order to be a blessing. Turn to Genesis chapter 28. Because Isaac has a a couple of sons, but one of them is a kid named Jacob. And although he was the second born, ultimately he is the son through whom this promise will continue. And God ultimately covenants with Jacob. His name will later be changed to Israel. But right now, God meets with this kid We see in in chapter 28, we'll begin in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with the top reaching up to the heavens and the angels of God were ascending and descending. This is what we know as a Jacob's ladder, something he sees a connection point between heaven and earth. And there above it stood the Lord. and, And God said to him, I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of his son, Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the lands on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east to the north and to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. 
blessed to be a blessing. Turn to Exodus chapter 19. It's the next book, chapter 19, because Jacob, whose name is later changed to Israel, has 12 sons. Each of those sons ultimately has kids and they give rise to 12 tribes. This is where we get the term, the 12 tribes of Israel. And as they grow in number, they also grow in stature, they grow in wealth. God begins to bless them tangibly. Ultimately, we know their story that that at one point there was a major famine in the land, and so God brings them into Egypt to protect them. But then the Egyptians realize what a a danger they are as a people because they're growing more and more powerful. Obviously, God's hand of, of blessing and protection is on them, so they become enslaved in Egypt after a few generations. And then we see God powerfully lead them out of slavery in Egypt through the, the Red Sea where he decimates the Egyptian army without the Israelites having to raise a single hand. And he leads the people to the base of Mount Sinai. And it's here that these, these 12 tribes that, that comprise the nation of Israel, God's representatives, it's here that he covenants with them and basically passes the same covenantal relationship that he had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on to the people of Israel. So we read in chapter 19. Verse 3. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you out myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, you will be set apart to represent me. This isn't about your comfort. This isn't about you being more special than all the other nations, although you're special because I've chosen you to represent me. But you're my representatives. In the same way that all the way back there, I created mankind to represent me, to care for the earth, to be its stewards, I am now passing this responsibility of representing me. You're going to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation set apart, not for your own good. I am going to bless you in order for you to be a blessing. But the Israelites didn't get that. Because in a lot of ways, the Israelites, like human beings, kind of latched on to the fact that they were blessed, that they were special, that they had been set apart. They latched on to that part, but they had a hard part with the second part. Right? They had a hard time recognizing that they had been blessed in order to be a blessing, that God wasn't simply concerned with them as a nation. And so we get Israelites like um, the prophet Jonah. I mean, take Jonah, for instance. You remember that he was thrown in the water and that he was swallowed by a big fish. But do we remember why? It's because God had said, Jonah, I have a job for you. I need you to go to this pagan nation called Nineveh. And I need you to tell them that they, are, they run the risk of my wrath. I want you to tell them that I love them and I want them to turn from their ways. And if they're willing to listen, then they will be restored. They will be redeemed. And Jonah straight up goes, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want them to be redeemed. I don't want them to be forgiven. And so he gets on a boat and goes the opposite direction. And God has to force him to go and preach this gospel of repentance to the people of Nineveh. So in a lot of ways, the people of Israel, God's chosen people who were blessed in order to be a blessing, to be his representatives to all the other nations, were a lot more like Shmigal from the Lord of the Rings, right? They're just hunched down there, 
gripping onto their precious, terrified that the rest of the world is going to want some of what they've got. But that was the point. That's what God wanted them to do, to be a conduit of blessing, not to hoard the blessing for themselves. Then we come to the New Testament. Because eventually God just goes, if you're not willing to share this, then I... I'm going to tear down the walls that have been dividing my people. I'm going to tear down the walls between Jew and Gentile, which a Gentile is simply a non-Jew, somebody who is not part of this Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to tear that wall down. I'm going to, I'm going to stop separating person from person, and I'm going to invite everybody in myself since you're not willing to do it. And through the cross, Jesus Christ made a way for even Gentiles, even people who had not been born from the lineage of Abraham, to become children of God. Turn with me to, Genesis, uh, to Galatians. It's in the New Testament, book of Galatians, chapter 3. Because I want us to see what the cross means. If you hit First and Second Corinthians, keep going right. And then it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. It's a good way to remember those. So the book of Galatians. Chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the people, the, the believers in Galatia, most of whom were Gentiles themselves, were not of Jewish descent. And he's explaining to them just what the gospel means to them. So in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, he writes this, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham not because of blood, but because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Jump down to verse 14. He continues, He, God, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, that we too might become vessels of the living God living within us and representing him. Jump down to verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female In other words, all of those old dividing lines, all of those other ways that we use to separate out people and say, well, I'm here, well, I'm here, you're different from me, are abolished. We are one in Jesus Christ. He says that, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. Now, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to go there in just a moment. It's just to the left, just a couple of pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What did we just read? We just read that the promise that had been given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, you will be blessed, but not for your own good, or not solely for your own good. You will be blessed in order to be a blessing. We've just read that those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ have that same blessing bestowed upon us. We become sons and daughters of God. That's how we're blessed, by the way. Our blessing is not necessarily tangible, our blessing is about relationship. We get restored back into relationship with our Father in heaven. That is the blessing that we have received. We get to be part of the family of God. But it doesn't stop there. We're not only invited into communion with God, but then we are called to go and be His representatives. 
And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul makes that very, very clear. We read in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, or he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. In other words, you're no longer defined by your failures. You're no longer defined by the sin. You're no longer called a sinner who has been separated from God. You're now called a saint who has been forgiven and redeemed. So you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. It's a return all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, when God created mankind to be his representatives. He's now saying, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are restored to relationship with our Father in heaven, and you have a new purpose, which is actually the old purpose. You get to represent him. You get to be an ambassador of the gospel message of the good news. And that good news, as I've already mentioned, is not about tangible stuff. It is about a relationship. It's about being invited back into a relationship that our sins no longer separate us. But at some point, I think this gospel message has changed in our culture. At some point, we stopped talking about God's blessing being about, being about intimacy and relationship, when we started talking about God's blessing being more about our happiness, our health, and our wealth. We started focusing on what we could get from God rather than being with Him. We started focusing more on the gift rather than the giver. And we like to get focused on that because, again, our human tendency is to, to want comfort, to want to be safe, to want to be happy. And so that prosperity gospel has flourished in our culture. And we've become more focused on, well, what am I getting from God? And I simply want to suggest that the gospel message is not about what we can get from God, but it is about the fact that we can have relationship with him. That's the good news. That is what we have been blessed with, and that is the message that we get to share with other people. In fact, he is calling us to be his representatives to share that message. But I'll be the first to say that's a scary proposition, that we ultimately become his ambassadors, that we are charged now to go out beyond the walls of our church and to share with our neighbors, with some of our family members, with our, those in our workplaces, those in our schools. That's a scary proposition because I'll be the first to admit I don't even feel up to it. I don't, I don't feel mature enough in my own faith sometimes to be able to share. I don't think I'm the only one here that feels that way. So how can we begin to be God's representatives? How can we, as imperfect people, represent a perfect God? And what do we share? What do we say? How will people believe we're even from God? There's a guy, I, I love the fact that the, the Bible is populated with people who are not perfect, that don't have it all together, and who don't always have all the answers. There's a guy named Moses that you're probably familiar with. At one point, Moses is tending sheep. He had to leave Egypt because he killed an Egyptian. And he was wanted for murder, so he, he fled. And now he finds himself tending sheep. And as he's walking along with the sheep, he sees this burning bush. 
that's interesting. So he goes and walks up to it, and he's looking at it, and then all of a sudden God speaks to him through the burning bush. Moses, take off your sandals, because where you're standing is holy ground. So Moses goes, okay, and he's standing there before his God. And God says, Moses, I want to use you. I want to invite you to be my representative. I want you to go to Pharaoh in Egypt and tell him to let my people go. And Moses is going, you got the wrong guy. Okay? Uh, I, I escaped from there barely. That's the last place I should go. Why would you choose me? Somebody, anybody would be better than me. I mean, I'm wanted for murder. Pick my brother Aaron. I, he, he at least is way more articulate than I am. God goes, Moses, don't worry. I'll be with you. I'll give you the words to say. And Moses is like, well, what if they don't believe me? What, what if they say that God never revealed himself to me? Who should, you know, how will they trust that what I have to say is true? And, and God responds to him, well, what's in your hand? And Moses looks down and there's a staff in his hand. Here's my, my shepherd's staff. Throw it on the ground, Moses. And he throws it down, it turns into a snake. Now pick it back up. He picks it back up, it turns back into a staff. God says, use that to prove to people that I am has sent you, that Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent you. I think a lot of us can probably identify with Moses, with those feelings of inadequacy, those feelings of I don't know what I would say. I, I, I'm supposed to represent a perfect God. I'm an imperfect man. I'm the last person you should be sending. And even if I were to try to share my faith, God, how would, how would they believe me? We live in a culture full of salesmen. They are inundated with advertisements day in and day out about things that can change their life. I'm just one more voice in the cacophony of voices that are clamoring for their attention. Why would they listen to me? And I think God would ask us the same question that he asked Moses. What's in your hand? What have I uniquely given you that you can use to advance the gospel, to advance the kingdom of God? What can you use? There's a couple. I, I'm sure I could come up with a whole lot more of these. But I'm going to focus on four things that God has placed in each one of our hands this morning. First one is he's given each and every one of us a testimony. He has given each and every one of us a story of how we have seen God to be real in our life. Because we live in a skeptical culture full of shysters, full of people who sell used vehicles that they would never drive themselves. Products that they would never use if they were not paid to promote those products. And so one of the most powerful tools that we have to advance the gospel and to advance the kingdom is our own testimony. How have we seen God to be real in our life? Because we may try to apologetically explain who God is through the scripture and build a case and they'll argue about the definition of a word or minutia. But they can't argue with your story because it's yours. It is how you have seen God to be real. But there's a problem. Everybody's got a story. And there's lots of voices out there. Why on earth would they possibly listen to us share our story? Why do they even care? After all, people don't care what we know until they know that we care. Right? 
We almost have to earn the right. In, that in this society, in this culture, we need to earn the right to be listened to. How do we do that? Again, what's in your hand? Three things. Each and every one of us has time. Some of us have less because we have other responsibilities, but we each have time to invest in people. Think of somebody who makes you feel like you actually matter. When you speak to them, it doesn't matter what they're doing. They may be busy, but they're interruptible. So you ask them a question. They don't just answer the question over their shoulder while they continue to decide. They actually stop what they're doing, turn around, look you in the eyes, and talk to you like you matter. We can live lives, although we're busy, that are interruptible, where we take the time to actually be with people. Time is one of those gifts that you can use to love people. After all, Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another, right? They'll know that we are his disciples by the way we love. So being present with people and giving them our time is one of the ways that we love them enough to to convince them that we're worth listening to. And by the way, not that, not that this is a, you know, you do these things so that you can get this. Actually caring for people, genuinely caring is important here. It's not just pretending. It's not just an act. But our time is one of the tools that God has given us. The second thing is talents. As Lee mentioned two weeks ago, each and every one of us have God-given talents and abilities that he has entrusted to our care. Talents that we have cultivated over our lives, whether in work or in raising kids or just, you know, being who we are in our hobbies we have cultivated these talents. We've, we've experienced things through our lives that we pick up perspectives. And we can begin to bring those talents to bear on somebody's needs or where somebody else is at. And the third thing is we have treasures. Finances is one of them, but they're not the only things. Think of the Shannons who have uh, access to boats and Mike, the same way. They have access to boats and they use those boats to say, hey, why don't you come on the boat with us and now you have a captive audience to just be able to share life with. Just be able to talk with. They don't want to talk, that's fine, you can swim home. Right? I think of some of you guys who made the mistake of purchasing trucks. Now all of a sudden you have the opportunity to help people move. And I have been the recipient of some of your blessings. And I'm grateful for it. I think of some of you who have provided my family with meals when Grayson was born prematurely and we, our, our whole world was in disarray. And so many of you took the time to cook us a meal that you had purchased with your own money and brought it to us. And it declared that we were loved. We have time, we have talents, and we have treasures. And these are things that God has given us, not simply so that we can hold on to them and hoard them and use them for our own well-being, but so that we can bless other people and in so doing, earn the right to be able to share our testimony. Earn the right to be able to walk with them and do life with them. I think of Betty Hart who for the last, what, 20, 25 years has been volunteering at the Someone Cares Soup Kitchen over here on 19th Street, who's been using her time every week to show up, has been using her talents, not only cooking, but administratively to help oversee that place, has been investing her treasures to care for the homeless, care for those who have needs in our community, and she has earned the right to walk alongside of them. They know that she cares, so they care what she knows. I think of Jeff Kirst, 
who had never really had any interaction with homeless people, but God started to break his heart for many of the people he saw in the community that had no place to go. And so he began to go, okay, well, I don't particularly want to interact with the homeless, but God, if I feel you're saying that, I'm just going to take a step. And so he began to spend a little bit of time getting to know them, and God began to break his heart even more for the homeless community. So he began to spend more time with them, and he began to mentor a few of them. God said, You've got the, I want you to be, I'll be a voice for the homeless. And he uses his talents and his experiences to begin to speak in and advocate for the homeless in our community. He's using his time, his talents, and his treasures to be able to care for some of God's kids. I think of Marge, Manashi. <clears throat> All of, you know, many of you guys know Marge. She's the director of our preschool. Loves, loves our kids so well. But what many of you guys probably don't know is that Marge and Nassim were unable to have kids of their own. And for 10 years they tried. And when they realized that they couldn't, then they said, okay, God, what's your plan for us? And God said, I just want you to prepare. And in the right time, I will bring a child along your path. And so they opened themselves up to adoption. And one day they, they were introduced to a little girl named Gloria. And I know that when, when we go into adoption, we tend to think that God is going to give us perfect children. As if there's anything, any such thing as a perfect child, right? Just like, is there any such thing as a perfect parent? But I do believe that God has chosen the perfect child for us. And the woman who was preparing them said, yeah, I just want you to know that Gloria is, has some challenges. She's got some um, things in her that will actually mean that she may not actually grow into adulthood. And if she does, it's likely that she'll never actually speak on her own. She'll just be able to parrot things back. She'll never be able to read. She'll never be a normal child. Never be a normal adult. Are you willing? And Marge and Nassim both went, absolutely. God has broken our hearts for this little girl. And so they invested not just a little bit of time. They invested the rest of their lives for as long as God entrusted that girl to them. They entrusted their talents. Because I remember Marge was telling me just the other day as we were talking about this. I got her permission, permission to share this, by the way. She said, you know, the, they said that she would never be able to, to speak, never be able to read. I said, I'm a teacher. You better believe I'm going to pour into that little girl and give her every chance that she can. To flourish. And by the way, if any of you guys know Gloria, that girl does not stop talking now. <laughs> Read all of that stuff. She is flourishing under their love and their care. They have sacrificed, as any parent knows, it costs a lot to raise children. They have poured their treasures into their little girl. And it hasn't just been a one directional kind of thing. God has blessed Margin to seem through Gloria. It's exhausting, just as raising any kid is exhausting. But the other thing is it hasn't just been about glory because by pouring in and loving her, by investing their time, talents, and treasures, it's given margin to seem the ability to speak into other people's lives who are also you know, raising special needs children. It has broken their heart for a segment of society that in many ways are often voiceless and forgotten. And she is an advocate for the special needs community. Each and every one of us has time. Each and every one of us has treasures. Each and every one of us has talents. And God says, these have not been given to you for your own sake. These have been given to you 
to bless others. To grease the skids of the gospel so that the good news can find fertile soil in people's hearts that had hitherto been very opposed and and resistant to it. You earn the right to speak into their lives by showing up. Think of Ryan and Nina who... God has broken their hearts for men and women who are incarcerated. And they show up regularly, going down to these penitentiaries where these men may never see the light of day, may never get outside of the prison, and they show up and love on them. You better believe those men have enough time to read the Bible. They probably know the Bible better than we do. But what they don't know is, am I loved? Am I acceptable? And that's something that Ryan and Nina pour into them every time they see him, to the point where these guys go, we know you care for us. So we welcome you into our lives. Your time, your talents, your treasures enable you to then share the good news of who God is and who he has been in your life. One last thing before I I hand uh, this over to to Lee, and that is this. I want to ask the question, well, what are we as a church doing? How are we as a church investing our time, our talents, our treasures to advance the kingdom of God, not just here in our church, but beyond it. We are, have been called to be a light in our community, a light in this city, and a light internationally. How are we doing that? A couple of ways. First off, as you're going to see when we go over, over our budget this morning, we earmark about 10% of our income as a church to go right back out to, to missions and outreach. Furthermore, we do a whole bunch of ways that we are investing our treasures and our, our time and our talents as well. But there are a few specific ways that we are using those resources. One of them is that we have five different missionaries that we support. Um, there's some of these on the back if you would like to have a more clear understanding of who we're supporting. One of those couples is the Pappas family. They're up at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. They are the directors of the Campus Crusade for Christ outreach there and they are making a giant impact on that campus hundreds and hundreds of kids show up every week i mean it's like this mega church of kids that they're pouring into and loving and they have seen dozens of children every year college students who are typically the ones who have the least amount of faith they're seeing dozens and dozens of kids every year come to know jesus christ we are tangibly investing in that ministry We support them not only with our prayers, but with our finances, with our treasures. Another ministry that we support as a church is Orlando Sanchez and Koheleth Ministries. Some of you guys have heard of that. Koheleth Ministries is a ministry to the poor in our community. Every month on the second Saturday of the month over at Newport Mesa Church, they have a food drive where they basically give away tons of food to the homeless community. And Orlando gets up and shares the gospel. He is all about proclaiming Jesus Christ. He is unashamed of the gospel. So that nobody who comes and gets food has to question whether or not Jesus loves them or where he stands. And we not only financially support them, but many of us participate by going and actually help set up and then give away the food. I've been doing this the last couple of months with my son Ethan, and it is so fun to have my six-year-old son out there setting up tents, putting out food, getting it ready, and then handing it to people as they're coming through and just going, God loves you. And I ask Ethan as we're driving home typically, I go, so why are we doing this, Ethan? And I love it that my six-year-old understands. He goes, well, because 
God loves even people who don't have homes and, and he calls us to love on them. It's like, yes, you're getting it. Awesome. So I would encourage many of you guys to come check it out because this is one of those ministries that you don't have to go across the border to do. You can do it right here at home. And it's a pretty low bar, but it is so wonderful. Um, another missions organization that we support is Wycliffe Bible Translations, particularly Craig and Sarah Marshall, um, that we financially support, and they are translating the Bible for indigenous people who do not have the Bible in their own language. In other words, imagine if you were supposed to try to have a relationship with God, but you couldn't actually get access to a Bible that you could read. They're saying, we want to make sure that every man, woman, and child has access to a Bible that they can read. So we're going to translate it into their language, and that's what they're doing right now. So we support them every month. Uh, Two more. One of them is Marty Hooper, who is an evangelist, an international. I mean, he is all over the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, seeing hundreds of people coming to, to give their lives to him. So we financially support him. And then finally, many of you guys know Egypt. Um, Egypt was on staff here for a time, but his main heart, the calling that God has placed on his heart, is to speak to children, right? junior hires, high schoolers, and college students, not children, young adults, to speak into their lives to share with them the good news and, and to do so in places that we can't go typically as a church, onto school campuses, in their assemblies, sharing about making wise choices and doing so from a platform of he is a Christ follower. He's unashamed about that. So we support all five of those missionaries on a regular basis every month. But that's not the only way that we are using our time, our talents, and our treasures to be able to pour out We also do some big events every year. We have VBS. In here, it takes over the church for about a week. And we have tons of kids who don't attend church here who get to hear the gospel message, who get to be loved on. Many of you volunteer for that. It's a huge investment in our church, but it's totally worth it. And then the other one is during Halloween, we have the Harvest Gathering out here. And it is something that started three years ago. It's just a little thing for our families because we had young kids and we didn't want them getting scared out in the neighborhoods going trick-or-treating. And it has exploded to the point now where we have four or 500 people showed up this year. And it's gotten bigger every single year. It has become a way that we love on and provide something for our community that is valuable. That's not the only way that we're looking beyond the walls of our church. As I already mentioned, Little Lighthouse Preschool is an investment. It's not a moneymaker for us. It's not about making money. We've actually probably invested about $200,000 into making this thing, but it is because we care about the kids in our community. It's because we care about the families, and by investing in them, we earn the right to speak into their lives. And some of you have actually come to the church because of Little Lighthouse Preschool. It is probably the brightest light that we have shining right now in our community. And then lastly... Every year, twice a year, we go down beyond the border. The next time we're going to go down is February 21st, coming up next month. It's a Saturday. We're going to go down to Tijuana, and we're going to be able to go back into a men's rehabilitation center and love on these guys who are just trying to get their worlds back together. Those who have gone down, I know that um, the stacks went down last time and were really powerfully impacted by it. Others of you who have gone... um, And it was a really powerful time. We're also going to go down and show the Jesus film. So that is a one-day event. It's a pretty low bar. There's very little cost involved. And I would invite you to come and participate in that. And then later in October, we're going to go back down and we're going to build another house. So far, we've built three homes for needy people in Mexico. And by the way, these aren't opulent. 
I mean, they're like a glorified garden shed. But for somebody who's been sleeping on a dirt floor, who has had cardboard or old used garage doors as their walls and their roof, it is an unbelievable blessing. And we partner with a church down there so that we are actually giving this to somebody who the church is going to continue to minister to. And we're going to go down in October and build our fourth house down there. Those are some of the ways that we're investing our time, our talents, and our treasures beyond the walls of our church because we have been blessed as a church. We've been blessed as the body of Christ to be a blessing, and we take that very, very seriously. One last thing. I can imagine that there are some of you, I hope, I pray that there are some of you this morning that are realizing that basically what I'm saying is it's not just the staff, it's not just the elders who are called to be on the field doing this. This is... Being a Christ follower is not a passive event. You're not called to be a participant. You have been called to be a minister of the gospel. And I hope that some of you realize that what I'm calling you today is to get out of the stands and get on the field. I've given you a few examples of ways you can get involved. Koheleth Ministries, going down to Mexico, helping with you know some of our events like VBS and stuff. But there's one other way that I want to invite you to get involved, to get on the field. Uh, Don and Jill, where are you guys at? Can you guys stand up for just a moment? All right, there's Jill. Don is actually probably across the street right now preparing. Yeah, he's over cooking. He's using his, I'm not sure it's a talent actually. I think that we'll find out. Um, <clears throat> but this is Jill. Stay standing. Jill and her husband, Don, are um, the head, the directors of our missions and outreach department. If we can say it's a department. Um, they invest their time, their talents, and their treasures into helping us as a staff figure out where are we going to be investing ourselves? What are we going to be pouring ourselves into? But the fact is that both Jill and Don have a full-time job, each of them, and they're also raising two boys, so their time is limited, which means that they need help. And so what we are asking is that you guys would consider joining them in helping oversee our missions and our outreach. They're trying to put together a team of individuals who will bring and pool their respective talents and their time to say, where are we going? What are we doing to brainstorm, to go scout the land? What are the opportunities out there for us to get involved in? To prayerfully consider, what are we wa- who do we want to be investing in? How much do we want to be giving? How can we raise more funds for this? What trips are we going to do? Okay, who's going to actually administrate and oversee these trips? I've been doing a lot of it. I I don't have the time nor would necessarily the talent for it. I think some of you would be more talented at that. We want to invite you guys to get in the game. And so what I want to invite you to do, Jill is going to be at this back table back here. Do not leave this morning. If you feel like God is saying, I'm talking to you. This is for you. Then please don't leave without at least speaking with her. Okay? And that's also where you can sign up. If you haven't already connect, on the connection card indicated that you want to go to Mexico with us, you can sign it back there as well. All I'm saying this morning is that we have been blessed as a people. We have been invited and ushered back into relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's not for our own good, not solely for that. We have been blessed in order to be a blessing. And it's time to take that seriously. All right? I'm going to hand it over to Lee.